Our Lakeshore campaign features content that some viewers may find uncomfortable, including gun violence, drug use, and sexuality. For more detailed information, including full content warnings and transcripts, check out the show notes or our website, therealmscast.com. Previously on Lakeshore. The gang heads to the factory in the city's north end, where Rex has been shipping the mysterious imported crystals. There, they encounter Angela Whitcomb supervising the facility, backed by a squadron of horrible, gooey monsters. After escaping Angela's office, the crew discovers what the crystals are being used for. Each one is being installed in a radio, and those magic-conducting radios, controlled by Mayor Graham, are being shipped out to every unsuspecting citizen in Lakeshore. Hi, I'm Jillian. I play Susan the Hunter. It is good to be here. Or should I say goo to be here? Hi, I'm Jory. I play Kitty the Aware, and it's good to be here. Hi, I'm Eli. I play Roman the Fate, and it's good to be here. Hi, my name is Jordan. Uh, I play Nox the Tainted, and it's good to be here. I'm Jesse, I'm the MC, and what do you call an alligator that's got its detective badge? An investigator. Isn't that nice? Welcome to Many Realms. You wake up, I think, pretty early the next morning. You experienced some pretty bad dreams the night before. You were tossing and turning. You had a pretty sleepless night. I think you all got back into Fairside, obviously quite late in the night, and with quite a lot of stress taking its toll on your bodies and your minds. Nox, you were plagued with dreams of whirling clouds of fire and smoke and the smell of brimstone. And you wake up around 7 or 8 a.m., you toss and turn in your bed for a moment and you absentmindedly scratch your forehead and then you stop because you realize that you've almost sliced the skin of your forehead open. When you look down at your hand, you can see that two of the fingers on your left hand still take the form of wicked sharp demony talons, whether this is a side effect of um, Laxie's request you know, timing running out or goo or taking, steeping your body, some would say, in corruption at every possible opportunity. Whatever reason this has happened, you've got a little bit of uh, demon lingering itis going on. I mean, I'm pretty aware that I'm on the cusp of being, I mean, if everything goes according to plan, that I'm going to be essentially liberated from this, right? Or That is what Laxies has promised you, yeah. Okay. I'm curious to know what, if any, like, scenes you, Jordan, want to do, or if there's, like, business snaps you'd have with any other characters, what your goals are for the day. It's tough, because it feels like, other than talking to Laxies about what's happening here, perhaps talking to Hazel also, if she's ever experienced something similar. Otherwise, it seems like a largely, uh, what would be introspective time for Knox, which is boring, so I'm trying to think of a way around that. But still, I think it's it, it's important to mention that where his state of mind is, is that as as much as this has been a curse, it's also very clearly over the course of this campaign and presumably his life been something that has uh, saved him, enabled him to do things that he would not have been able to otherwise. And so it's uh, as much as he definitely wants it to be to be rid of it, there's still a sense of mortality that comes with that. Uh, I'm not going to be able to find myself in a situation and just uh, get a, a hardened shell of it. It's also a scary prospect being afraid of it or, or, or being free of it. So it's kind of, there's a little bit of something to reconcile there. I, I, I feel like Hazel um, may have had a similar thing or, you know, at the very least can, can understand. Knox, you bolo up and you head over to Roman's house, which is now the de facto base of operations for your merry band. As you step through the front door, you hear the sounds of the kind of beaten up 
upright piano that stands in the corner of Roman's living room that no one ever seems to touch and looks like it's in bad need of tuning. The sound you hear is quite discordant, really awkward, stilted, uneven chords, and the occasional melody tapped out with hesitant, shaking fingers. When you step inside the house, you see Hazel hunched over the piano, a cup of tea next to her on the floor as she tries to play what sounds to you like a relatively simple piece. On the couch in the living room next to the piano, you can see she has brought in a radio, another radio, that has a piece of paper stapled to the front of it. Well, the uh, entropy of her music speaks to the entropy of my soul. So that's quite beautiful. <laughs> I mean, can I read? I mean, she's, she's just, you know, pounding away in the keys, I assume. Can I read this note from afar? Yes, it's, um, it's a flyer, actually. It's the flyer that came with the radio, and it reads as follows. As a thank you for being an upstanding citizen of Lakeshore, and as a promise of prosperity and innovation to come, please enjoy this model LS1000 radio. Compliments of your mayor, Evelyn Graham. If you aren't able to attend the upcoming Lakeshore exhibition, we hope you will tune into Mayor Graham's inaugural broadcast at 12 o'clock noon on opening day. Bad, bad, bad. Don't do it, y'all. Don't tune in. Guys, the CN Tower, literally a radio transmission tower. Don't bring facts into this. I'm a detective. <laughs> I don't know how to play piano, so I can't help there. But, I mean, she must see me come in now, or if I just, can I sneak, sneak up behind her and give her a, ah, your music's bad. Oh, what the fuck? No, that, that's mean. When you step over to Hazel to look at the flyer, she, of course, detects your presence. And when you set it back down, she stops playing and she cranes her neck over to you. And she says, it was on the porch this morning. And I think they're on every house on the street. Well, we're going to have to do something about that. She slides over and pats the space on the other half of the piano bench. Sounds like you could use the help, and I sit down. You know, it's funny. I actually took lessons as a kid, but I was real rotten at them. And, and when, I, um, when I got myself into the situation I did, I was really excited that I was able to play such beautiful music. And now all I want to do now is just learn without cheating i guess i'm not that bad am i well there's room for improvement but i think so long as you're diligent someone as passionate as you can't help but succeed she grabs your hand and she places it uh and gently adjusts your fingers and she notices that two of the fingers of course are transformed she arrays them uh along the keyboard and pushes down on the top of your hand so you play a nice rich chord and when you do, you sustain it. And she plucks out the melody on the other side with the other hand. And she says, how are you feeling today? Did this ever happen to you? Usually I, I, I wake up the next day and back to my regular old self. But today, only about, say, 98% of my regular self. You never turned down any standing orders before, did you? No, not that... Not in my memory. The longer it gets, the the harder it is, and the more you realize how much how much your body isn't your own, really. We mean it's not my own. I've always been able to control this as I see fit. You can control it as long as you're playing nice, but you can't take your toys and go home, tough guy. You're leasing, not owning. Well, I'm trying to buy it or that lease a little bit early, uh, just like you. Uh, but th this never, this, this did happen to you. Is it, is there anything I can do about it? Is, is there a cause for concern? She smiles sadly and she moves your hand to a new chord. She says, no more cause for concern than I think the rest of us have every minute of every day at this point. Just hope and pray to whoever you hope and pray to that will get done what needs doing and you'll pay off your last debt and you can call it even because if not two fingers is going to be the least of your worries well i i suppose they could at least come in handy and i kind of do the like like the cat claw at her like the row 
and uh, like scrunching my, I'm trying to visually get this, scrunching my hand kind of towards her face as if to lunge at her. And then I reach past her and uh, get a nice little trill, little little work my way down the, the keyboard. Just a flex on her. She laughs and she leans into your outstretched arm. She says, I should thank you again for last night, Knox. For a minute there, I really thought I was going to be a goner after coming so far. You must be worried. I mean, if you were... If you were free, you wouldn't have been able to save me the way you did. Well, maybe that's true. But then again, maybe we wouldn't be in that situation (laughs) if we weren't fighting so hard to be free of this anyway. Uh, I mean, you don't really have any further obligation. If if you feel that it's so unsafe, I... You got a lot of practicing to do, so maybe putting your time to that could be better spent. I don't think that's fair to Susan. She sacrificed so much for me to leave her out cold like this on Christmas Eve, so to speak. That just doesn't sit right with what I have to start to suspect is my soul. Well, I think you're a tough one, so whatever your soul tells you is, well, it's probably really the only thing you have to guide you now. What is your soul telling you, Knox? I don't know. I can't hear it yet. I think you will. I uh, gesture to the radio. Maybe one day, instead of veiled apocalyptic messages, instead we can hear your lovely piano playing broadcast across all of Lakeshore. Yeah, do you ever care to duet? Uh, Give me a call when... uh, I'm not a hideous monster. (laughs) She looks down at the keyboards and runs her hand along the black and white keys. Softly to herself, she says, You're not a hideous monster. Kitty, when you wake up, the room is dark, and through your heavy-lidded eyes, you can see the hunched silhouette of your husband, Philip, sitting up silently in bed next to you. Philip? Good morning. Good morning, dear. Uh, are you okay? He nods and doesn't look at you. He says, yes, I'm I'm fine. How are you feeling? All right. Are you sure? His head doesn't move, but his eyes flick over in your direction. And he says, I rather think you're the one who's in the position to not be feeling well, Kitty. I, I'm okay. I'm... We only got one more day, right? One more day, Kitty. Are you still planning to uh, go to that um, parlor today? Yeah, I have to give us our best shot, right? If that's what you think is best. Will you come? He finally turns to look at you. You can see his eyes are red rimmed, like he's been crying for a bit of the morning. He says, if you need me there, I'll be there, Kitty, but it's difficult. I... I sat here for a while. I watched you sleep. It was hard to think of the woman I wed so blissfully all those years ago and the woman I see before me now. They have the same face, but some days I feel they couldn't be more different. Philip gets very poetic before he's had his morning yogurt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so I'm going to get up, turn around so that I'm in front of him because he's facing away from me, right? In two days... Things will be back to normal. We might have to figure out, maybe go for provincial government next time. In spite of himself, he he laughs a little bit, maybe in surprise more than anything. He says, um, I think in two days I never want to see the inside of a government building again. You know, me too. Maybe we could move. Move where? Jesus, Kitty, anywhere, anywhere else. Maybe the mountains. Maybe. And I want to get Roman and get going because time is short. Philip stews and like writes like a sonnet about you and a gun. Oh no. Man, it's not easy. Kitty, you grab Roman and the two of you head out to the last hurrah. Susan. Hi, that's me. Hi, what would you like to do today? I have a feeling I know. I have a few problems. 
Don't I always? Sister. There's a list, right? Um, <laughs> uh, one of those problems is that I am for harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Susan, you're you're recovering, I guess, slowly from... I mean, that was, what, two days ago? It's recovering slowly. You uh, fought Malorex like two days two ago. Two days ago, and then immediately went to a factory and got my ass yeah. handed to me. Urban Shadows characters are tough and they heal fast, but we also know we're on a tight timeline. I mean, pursuing healing is like definitely like there are resources in the city. Me. Um, I also I can heal you. Roman or drugs also has heals or drugs. Um, so what do you want to do first? I don't want to go to a hospital looking like you belong in a garbage. hospital. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I guess before Roman and Kitty leave. I trouble Roman for some HP. Hey, what's up? Uh, I've had better days, you might say. And I gesture to my full body. Uh, That thing you did on the porch that one time was really quite nice. And I was wondering if you would do it again if it's not too much to ask. Of course, if it is, I understand. Um, I think Roman is like weirdly happy about it and she heals you. Um, I can do this for two harm, so I guess I could just do this twice, right? You'll take two corruption. Sure. Yeah, so I'll take two corruption, I'll move up the corruption track. No, I know that we're like, I'm I'm curious in what form, because you're moving up the corruption track, what like narratively that looks like for the fate your corruption move is when you break a promise or lie um i think it's part of it is like uh well i mean roman can speak to this also but from i have the book open perspective um i think part of it is that the fae is like a really foreign creature like foreign to this plane and so while roman like really passes for like a human woman most of the time because of what's in her blood, in like some very real ways, she's not. So I think for the Fae, corruption really takes the form of like becoming markedly, visibly otherworldly. That's interesting. Yeah, I was imagining in a more like internal sense, she becomes or feels alienated from people, especially because Roman Roman story is such one of belonging to a group that she can define and understand. Yeah. Um, so I feel like maybe maybe both of those things. <laughs> Absolutely, I think they go hand in hand. Yeah, for sure. What does this healing look like? We have that beautiful kind of subtle gold shimmer happening. Maybe like with the bruising, you're seeing it like shimmer a little in the bruising and then it goes and seeps back into, uh, like it's like the blood vessels are unpopping so you can see your veins kind of in the spots where the bruise is going away. I wonder if in this moment that Roman really digs deep into her power and uh, takes two corruption, I wonder if you catch a glimpse of Roman's true face, a face that is maybe more beautiful than the Roman you know, but also sharper, colder, crueler, stranger. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I think there's also something specifically with my um, pupils that you see them disappear for a moment maybe and the whole eyes just kind of go blank but it takes it's just a second until you're not sure with the arm that you're not touching i guess i kind of like reach out as if i'm going to touch your face and then i don't what what was that uh i don't know what you're talking about i i think roman doesn't even realize that you saw anything are you you're good now no you'll Face did a thing. <laughs> you've uh, you've made Roman a bit self-conscious now, and she kind of like s- gently swats your hand away. Like, don't you don't do that to people. Don't do that. No, sorry, it was. Don't point out shit on my no, face. It, um, you're quite beautiful. <laughs> it's <laughs> see now Roman's super confused because it's like I thought you were insulting me. And now you're not? (laughs) So she'll just let it go, I guess. She's kind of awkward or doesn't know if, like, if Susan is, like, actually calling her beautiful or or playing some weird mind game here. And she's like, okay, thanks. 
and just like trounces away. Great. Love to have positive relationships with those around me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I think I, I, I mean, I think that's valid, right? Um, we've had some weird, like. That felt very authentic. Yeah. Trust and untrust between <laughs> us, I think. It's been pretty up and down. Susan, you take, I suppose, the streetcar to uh, St. Elias Hospital in downtown Lakeshore, where you know that Joan is staying. The hospital is a large, recently built stone building. Um, It has a really nice carved archway at the front, and it's guarded by a lion on one side and a griffin on the other side. I think I look like Simon, just in case Nancy is there. Okay. I, I give Joan's name to the nurse and say I'm here to visit. You step into a hospital room. Joan has a single room. You can see uh, a semi-sheer curtain drawn across a partition of the room, and you can see what you presume is her silhouette behind it. You draw back the curtain, and you see Joan uh, bathed in the light of the window. She is reading a paperback novel. She looks pretty bad. She is wearing a hospital gown, and under it you can see that her legs up to her ribs virtually are uh, swaddled in blankets and the legs are in like full cast. Her arms are free and uh, her face and like head is looks okay. Maybe some bruises, some swelling. She's got her hair tied back and you can see that she looks gaunt like she's not, you know, exercising or eating very well. There are dark circles under her eyes, but her temperament seems okay. She's, you know, quietly, calmly reading a book, pausing to look out the window, and turns when she hears you pull back the curtain, and she looks over you and raises her eyebrows with an unrecognizing, friendly smile. Uh, I take my hat off. Um, (gasps) (laughs) Holy freaking shit! I take my hat off, which brings my, my hair down. And I brought some, like, wildflowers that I picked in the park. Uh-huh. Gay. <laughs> I placed them on the bedside table. Cool. Sorry to startle you. Her smile disappears, and she gently, with a hand, indicates the stiff wooden chair at her bedside. And she says, I was wondering when you were going to come to see me. Sorry, I know it's been a few days. Well, I'm sorry about a lot of things. How are you feeling? Uh, terrible, honestly. Why? Well, you you wouldn't be here like this if it wasn't for me. Susan, I don't think I'd be here at all if it wasn't for you. Nancy told me you were 19. And? Well, part of me is surprised and... Part of me really isn't because, God, you're so much like me. It's uh, unnerving sometimes. So I'm young? Yes, and I, I put you in a lot of danger. Doesn't mean I didn't know exactly what I was doing. Yeah, you don't, you don't understand exactly. Um, this sounds bad, but it is. I, I knew that hit was coming, Joan. She sets her book down on her lap and she places her hands folded on top of it and drums her fingers on the cover of the book for a moment. And then she nods and she says, okay. I, it's not an excuse. I wasn't feeling myself that day. I'm I'm sorry. I, uh. Susan, (sighs) stop apologizing. But I, I hurt you. You didn't hurt me. No, I did. I put you in the middle. I had a choice. You made the choice you needed to make at that moment. Susan, a demon hurt me, not you. Are you sure you're 19? Maybe you think that I'm just going along, that I'm following you because I don't know any better that I just sort of walked into this, but that's not entirely true. Maybe I found you before I found the fight, but 
when I found the fight, I signed up for it. Fully. Open eyes. Uh, Susan nods understandingly. This is an audio medium. I'm resigning. You can't. Well, I, I have. We're not done. I know. I know. What's next? Well, the Naturalist Society building doesn't really stand anymore. The park is a bit of a disaster, but the society is yours to lead if you want it. That's not what I want. Susan, you you don't have to make amends to me or or buy me off or make a plea deal. Susan, Nancy doesn't understand the Girls don't understand, but we understand, Susan. We're not like other people. We're special. We know what's going on, and we're the people that choose not to run away. We're the people that stay and that fight. And sometimes that's going to end up like this, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Promise me something. Anything. Never act out of revenge. It's poison, Joan. Yeah? Yes. Really, tell me how you're feeling. I feel like this is the end of the world. <laughs> I, I almost died yesterday. <laughs> so that, that's how I feel. I almost died and it's the end of the world. And it's quite apocalyptic, I must say. And... There's a lot to be done. You're going to do it. If you say so. I know you will, Susan. You're a hero. Susan does not see herself as a hero. <laughs> Joan, Joan's perception is specific. Yes. But it's earnest. Yes. She warmly kind of shuffles in her bed and sloppily grabs <laughs> your hand at the table. You're going to do it. Did you bring any whiskey? <laughs> sure, I'll pull out a flask. Susan's the kind of person who would have a flask. I think so. Yeah. She takes a pull. She says, they say I'm not supposed to. Yeah, I probably shouldn't. You're only young once, right? <laughs> That's right. Thank you for coming to see me. I bet you have a lot to do today. I do, but this was important. It was. I think with that, that nod of familiarity, of understanding, Susan, you stand and you look down at your, your follower, your soldier, your personal lieutenant, and you leave her there in her hospital bed in a confusing whirl of duty and obligation and adolescence and fear and hope and joy and I think you've done what you can do today you close the curtain on Joan you head back down the stairs to the front of the hospital when something catches your eye in the hallway pinned to the cork board uh, outside of the lavatory sorry the shitter Jesus Christ. I just, okay. We were doing serious for like five minutes. I had to just sort of, sorry. <laughs> it was so long, so serious. I'm sorry. Uh, don't be, I'm sorry. <laughs> just needed it. Just needed it. Um, outside the lavatory pinned to the corkboard on the wall, you see a poster. Have you seen these people? Underneath are sketches of you, Knox, Kitty, Roman, Hazel, and Philip. Great, I will unpin that from the cork board, fold it up, stick it in my jacket, <laughs> put my hat back on, and walk out into the day. That's fun. <laughs> Kitty and Roman, you make your way over to the last hurrah. So you, you step into the bar room, and because they are ghosts, social propriety over like when they can enjoy like a refreshing beverage doesn't really apply. They also maybe can't get drunk. What are they drinking? There's a lot of questions I haven't answered about the last hurrah that I don't intend to answer today. And suffice it to say, the bar is exactly as busy as it always is every time you go there. 
there is an older gentleman. Well, it looks like an older gentleman from what you can tell. There's a slumped over headless body at the bar and the head is rolling around on the floor. And as you step by Kitty, uh, you feel something brush against your heel and a voice says, a little help. <laughs> I scream and jump. Well, there's no need to be rude. I'm sorry. Do you, do, what do you need? Uh, a better view. I pick it up completely elbows locked at arm's length. The feel of it's like ghostly flesh on your skin. It's like um, dipping your hand into like ice cold dessert tofu. Um, hate that. Yum. I shudder. Uh, where would you like to go, sir? He waggles his eyebrows over uh, at the headless uh, body at the bar that's kind of slumped over. Sure. Um, of course. Yes. And I place his head onto his torso. When he rears up and spins around, um, he's smiling at you, but you've placed the head about five degrees off. So he's like craning at the corner of his eye and smiling. And he says, thanks, doll. You know, I'd say I'd lose my own head if it wasn't attached, but you know. Oh, uh, anytime. Um, have a great e- morning. Charlie steps over to your part of the bar and she snaps her little towel at the at the beheaded man. And she says, go bother somebody else, Roger. I got business with these two. Um, hi, I gesture at the um, Roman who is now eclipsed by the boxes that she's carrying. Yeah, the edge of a little pixie cut peeps out from the boxes. Can't make eye contact with Charlie. Just, hey, I'm here too. We we got the crystals. Charlie's eyes widen and she says, you know, honestly, not to be rude, part of me didn't think you were going to be able to pull this off. That's incredible. It was nothing. Charlie says, okay, uh, are you two ready then? We can get started. I, yeah, I look at Kitty. It's all about you. Are you... Are you ready? I guess so. I have to be. I guess so. We guess so. Charlie nods and she walks you into the back room, Roman, that you explored earlier when you came to the last hurrah. She has her little office there and she has set up an old like leather recliner chair. She's like crudely like attached planks to it to make like proper armrests for Kitty to sit down. This setup looks kind of like Frankenstein-y. It occurs to you perhaps that you have no idea like what Charlie was in a previous life other than a person who can confidently claim to be able to restore your powers. And she starts directing you, Roman, to put deposits of crystals in various places, weird urns and bowls that are like inscribed with different letters and symbols. And Kitty, she asks you to recline in the chair and get comfortable. Picturing like a horrible dentist's office. There's dentist energy. Even as you're starting to set up, she turns over to you, Kitty, and she says, did you uh, dump that fella that uh, was here last time? Why couldn't he make it? It's kind of a big day, isn't it? Oh, he, uh, he has his own business to attend to. Charlie, you seem like someone who must have a rich history. You calling me old, sweetheart? I'm saying, um... I think this is the moment maybe where Roman's like, do kind of like this girl. <laughs> is it too, is it too forward for Roman to be like, well, there's nothing wrong with that. I kind of like older women. I don't know. Charlie's been footing with you pretty shamelessly since the moment you walked in. I think that's like mild. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. She says that. You catch a glimpse of Charlie smirking as she turns away from you and uh, adjusts some of the equipment that's sitting on her repurposed desk. Um, what is all this? Exactly what's going to happen? Well, it's uh, pretty much like I described. Our uh, talented young Roman here is going to use the power of the crystals to amplify some of her magic, which of course, you two being sisters, is very much aligned with your magic. We are going to hopefully channel that force into your body and uh, activate your batteries that are asleep. My working theory, and I'm not a doctor, and don't ask me what I am. I'm a ghost and a bartender and a feminist. So that's it. 
But my current working theory is that the Oracle powers were probably just sapped, not necessarily removed. I think all of the gear is probably still in there. And uh, my hope is that if you just kind of pull that ripcord enough times, lawnmower will start. You got something better? No, I just, you put me in a contraption. I'd la- I just wanted to know exactly what it was. I wasn't doubting you. Like looking around, I'm getting like extra, um, much more anxious the more I'm seeing the makeshiftedness and Frankensteininess of this. You're literally going to like a back alley bartender for magical surgery. <laughs> You're getting magical Cardi B butt injections. Um, <laughs> Roman will go to her sister's side and maybe squeeze her hand reassuringly. Yeah, I. Like, grip your hand. I am very anxious. It'll help if you two are sort of on the same wavelength when this starts. So, I don't know, psych each other up, do whatever you need to do. I wonder if there's, like, a nice moment that we can call back to our childhood when, like, I don't know, something that you did as an older sister that would calm me down when I was scared, and now I can bring that back. Sure, I like that. What kind of, what, 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 like, was a chi- thing that freaked Roman out when she was a little kid? Like, what was, like, a childhood fear of Roman's? You know what? I think it's, like, Roman loved to read and read scary things, and she was so curious, but she was a scaredy cat all the time. Just, like, there are so many things that scared Roman is the secret, and now she's grown up to be this person who maybe doesn't seem afraid. So I wonder if, like, I was able to... Um, leverage my oracle powers to like calm you down as a little kid to be like like this book is a story I've looked like I've checked like cast psychometry on the book fiction it's nothing's gonna hurt you kitty can you cast psychometry (laughs) on my closet so I know there's no boogeyman in there I think it's it's really cute I think it's really cute yeah I love it and I think as she's as Roman is squeezing her hand she's maybe like (laughs) This is cheesy, but Roman doesn't have a lot of cheesy moments. I'll reach over with my free hand and I'll flick the locket open and I'll say, do you smell that? I nod. I can see. I can see what's going to happen and everything's going to be okay, kitty. I squeeze your hand again and turn to Charlie. Okay. Roman, if you would be so kind. And she directs you over to a spot on the floor that she's marked out with some tape. And she basically wants you to hold on to a weird like metal cylinder that has um, wires clipped at the top that extend to all these vessels that are full of crystals. This shit is like (laughs) like a meth lab. (laughs) It's not it's not up to code, you know. Hey, some meth labs are up to code. I don't know why I was offended by that. (laughs) Eli kind of speaking out on behalf of the realmers who cook meth, which like, you know, do your do, get your coin. I'm sorry. And she she says, um, okay, I mean, it's it's on your go. And when you unleash your magic, Roman, and when you uh, receive that magic, Kitty, I'm going to ask both of you to roll to let it out. Um, eight. Eight! Oh, you got the same result? That's right. Damn, sisters. I love that. Okay. Let's start with Roman. Roman, you once again reach within that wellspring of power. At this point, you've taken, you know, significant corruption. You have studied under one of the most powerful fae to walk in Lakeshore. You are an accomplished magician. And uh, it's no trouble to feel the magic spread out from your palms onto the cylinder to even see the flickers of it as it cascades up these wires. You watch as the crystals in these various urns and pots and bowls shimmer and sparkle and sort of even seem to move and shake a little bit, rattling in the bowls. Then you completely black out. And when you wake up, someone is leaning over you. They've got a hat pulled low and big dark glasses. And they're sort of playfully, kind of annoyingly slapping you on the cheek lightly and like poking your face. And you hear a low voice say, Come on, Hefcat, get on up here. It's time to party. What the f- Get the f- 
fuck off my face. Alright, easy tiger. Just making sure you didn't fucking croak. Do I recognize this voice? You do, actually, as more of what you can see and hear starts to filter in from that periphery of your senses, you realize that you're lying on the cold, tiled floor of a spacious and grand parlor in some big mansion somewhere. And uh, leaning over you, wearing a fedora and sunglasses and a well-tailored suit, is you. Maybe a couple of years older, maybe a few dozen packs of smokes raspier. And Roman, you watch as you extend your hand and lift the you-you up and get you to your feet and dust you off. What the fuck is going on? Hey, there's no need to freak out. We're all just here to have a good time. Why don't you relax a little bit? Unwind. What, you want a spliff? I mean, I do. This is a dream, right? And I take the I take the spliff, but still, I'm confused. Suit Roman, as I'll call her, pulls <laughs> a lighter. A lighter that you recognize as the lighter that Knox dropped in your hand from Kitty's apartment. And she cheerfully lights the joint in your mouth. That'll calm you down. Roman has, like, a mole on this elbow, and she tries to check it. She's, like, peeking around her arm to see, like, oh, that's my mole. Have you gone totally fucking scategories on me? What are you looking at? I'm just making sure I'm me, because you're me. Whoa. That's trippy, babe. (laughs) I take a seat. I'm waiting for an explanation. None seem to be forthcoming. In this room, you realize that there's some activity in the distance. You recognize other voices. It looks like there is a like a photo shoot being set up. You can see that facing away from you is a big stand that hang those long like rolls of paper, like a backdrop. There are people milling around behind it, and you hear some agitated voices. Suit Roman sits down next to you and says, um, You like jazz? Yeah, I mean... Uh, I mean, not as much as Knox, but maybe more than Susan? Oh, you know that cat? Yeah. If if you know them, I know them. Whoa, you're on some next level. That's some good shit, right? (laughs) I think I'm going to start walking towards the agitated voices. Okay, you round the corner and you see that there is indeed a photo shoot happening. The model is... Let's call her Dress Roman. She is clad in a very fancy skirt suit. She's wearing impeccable jewelry. She has uh, little patent leather white gloves up to the wrist. Her hair is pulled back nicely. No sign of a messy bathroom self-administered pixie cut here. Her face is completely made up and she is prissing and preening in front of, you've probably guessed it at this point, camera Roman who is leaning forward eagerly and snapping lots of great shots for the fall collection. Uh, I'll just like get up in dress Roman's face, brush her hair back and say idly like, huh, I've always wondered what I'd look like with long hair. I kind of don't like it. She turns back to you crestfallen and she says, oh, don't say that. I'm really trying to keep a proper attitude today. It's a big shoot. Really, I wonder where you've gotten such manners. I think uh, this version of Roman feels a lot more like Kitty because we kind of look the same or similar. The resemblance is quite strong when you look at dress Roman. Camera Roman kind of waves her hand and is like, Do you mind getting out of the shot? We're kind of doing something here. Yeah, what are you doing? What's this for? Uh, geez, I don't know what the client wants her for, but we've got about 30 more outfits to try on. Camera Roman hooks her thumb over at a huge rack of very expensive suits and dresses that Dress Kitty will be modeling, or Dress Roman will be modeling uh, later on in the afternoon. Camera Roman has like backup film on a little like tray with a bunch of supplies, and you can see like color blocking tests, like a full suite of actually really impressive and nice camera gear that you know for a fact that you don't own. Camera Roman's got quite the kit, including this great backdrop, which you realize on this side places Dress Roman in the in like a beautiful like mountain background i'm jealous of all that gear all right i look around for something else where's the next roman introduce me drug dream or whatever is happening you turn around (laughs) and you see with a start a person who has walked somehow snuck up right behind you and gotten right up in your fucking space about an inch away from your nose is what did i call this one 
Let's call her Weird Roman. Ah. Weird Roman is dressed in a similar fashion to the clothes that you saw Ileana wearing on the night that she left Lakeshore. These strange shimmering threads, these sort of mirrored panels and paillettes that hang from her garment. And her face, Roman, is like your face, but not identical to your face in the same way that the others were. This face is sharper, steeper, more severe, colder, and- Hotter. Hotter, but the eyes have no whites. They're all a single shade. And the slope of the brow is too high and too straight to belong to a human. The ears are sharply pointed and the nose is far too long. I'll cock my head to the side. You're me from Arcadia. Weird Roman holds up a plate with uh, some sliced figs on it. I take a fig. You look uncomfortable. I think these days I might always be uncomfortable. We all want what's best for you. And what is that? That's for you to tell us. Hey, tell me something. Do you think, if I were you, do you think we could have been even more powerful than Ileana? Don't get too excited because none of this is real, but she put us in charge. She gave her crown to us. And we walked through the park, setting everything ablaze with magic. And it felt amazing. Okay. Okay, so I want to get out of here and I want to I wanna make that thing real. Suit Roman saunters up over from the couch and says, What's up with this crazy chick? Don't you all know each other? You're all, you all have the same face. You're me. Weird Roman and Suit Roman look at each other and then over at you like, Oh. Weird Roman says, I know this is hard. Is there anything else we can tell you, or is it time for you to go? Oh my god, uh... There are so many things. Which one of you is the happiest? All of the Romans charge over and surround you in a circle, and they stare you down. Camera Roman is taking shots of you with a heavy flash, Fancy Roman is fussing with your hair and smoothing out your clothes. Weird Roman is offering you figs. <laughs> Suit Roman is offering you weed. And then they all stop and they go in uncanny unison. You, you tell, tell us. us. Okay, Roman feels like she should be asking a thousand more questions. If I did this, would I miss my family? Uh, if I did that, will I regret, you know, leaving people behind, whatever. But. If this is a lot right now, and I just need to close my eyes for a while. You feel someone grabbing your hand, and when you open your eyes, it's Dress Roman. And she says, Your sister needs you right now. Go to her. I kind of feel the environment in that dreamlike way and probe out a feeling, a direction that I think would mean running towards Kitty and back awake. And I start running in that direction. As you run, the tiles beneath your feet start to fall away into black, inky darkness. The sunlight filtering in through the huge palatial windows starts to diminish. The only thing left after a while is the distant flickering flash of Camera Roman's flashbulb, like Morse code, sending you some cryptic message that you can't understand. And then even that's gone and you, Roman, are surrounded by darkness. Kitty, your turn. Kitty, you find yourself uh, on the floor of a dark room with a dirt floor uh, and cold, slimy stone walls. It feels like a dungeon. There's almost no light in this room. What do you do? Um, I get up, brush myself off. Um, Is there a light source? You can see the faintest um, crack of light as through a window or some gap in the wall, it's forward and slightly raised. I try and make my way to that. As you do, you step over what sounds like the crunch of broken glass. And uh, as you step forward in the darkness, you trip and bang your shin against what you realize are the bottom set of some stone steps. And you climb them at first on your hands and knees, feeling your way. And then eventually you reach the crack of light, which indeed turns out to be a simple wooden door. You push it open and light floods into the room that you are. You are in a root cellar. The broken glass on the floor is a lantern, but it just looks like an ordinary like 
some kind of like cellar. You can see a shelf with some jars and uh, like sacks of potatoes against one wall. The handwriting on the labels, because these are homemade and not manufactured, is your own. I go upstairs. You find yourself standing in a beautiful, crisp alpine meadow. It is late afternoon. You can see the hint of sunset just starting to bleed up from the western edge of the sky over the daunting but breathtaking spires of fir trees and jack pines. You are standing outside of a majestic log cabin. There is a garden to your right and you hear sounds coming from around the corner, the sounds of children playing. I think before I go look at what the what those sounds are, what's making the sounds, I'd like to go to the garden. So you want scratch that. I'm just going to go check on what the kids were doing. There are two uh, young children playing in the backyard of this cabin. There is a tire swing hanging from the tree closest to the property line. And a boy of maybe six or seven is pushing a girl four or five around in the tire swing. They both have uh, your dark hair, your even complexion, your brown eyes. And when you round the corner, the boy runs up to you and he screams, Mommy! I freeze for a second. And then I like get down to his level. Hi! Hi! Um, hi, how are you doing? How is, how's your playing with your sister? Yeah, I'm pushing her on the swing. How's your day? There was mail today, Mommy. There was a letter from Auntie Roman. From Auntie Roman? Okay, I um, get up, um, ruffle his hair, and go check the mail. Sure, he runs back and starts playing with his sister again. Uh, You step inside the front door of this nice, you know, really beautifully decorated rustic but chic modern cabin there is a painting an abstract painting that is quite to your taste that hangs proudly over the fireplace and on the little side table just inside the door beneath the mirror there is a stack of mail including a letter that uh yeah you can recognize roman's handwriting on the outside all right i would like to read that letter you open the letter and you pull out a small card She has sent along some small prints of some photographs she's taken recently of a trip she took south. And she also writes about how she has helped organize a fundraiser for the Lakeshore Friends of Shmurna based on the advice that you'd given her about how to organize certain events. She doesn't seem to mention any of the troubles that are plaguing you, you know, that you know to be happening currently. There's no mention of mayor or demons or weird crystals. And it's maybe unlike Roman, sincere, calm, warm. I don't know her. (laughs) I'd like to take the letter. And now I would like to go and sit in my garden. As you head back outside the cabin, you hear the sound of a car approaching. Um, a, A nice, sturdy, deep blue pickup truck rumbles up the dirt path that leads to the top of the hill where this cabin is positioned. The door of the truck opens and... Filipinakis steps out. He looks a little bit older than the Philip you know now, and honestly, it looks like he's kind of been working out a little bit, like the mountain life agrees with him. <laughs> you know, he's not just sitting in a chair all day in the office. And he's got some uh, wooden crates in the back that are stocked with supplies that he seems to have picked up from some town or settlement. He walks up to you in the doorway and he gives you a casual peck on the cheek and he says, Will you help me bring these in, dear? Yes, of course. And I go to the crate and grab some groceries. You bring in the supplies, you unload them on the table with Philip, and then he takes you by the hand and he smiles warmly and he sits you down at the table opposite him. And he says, how are you today, dear? Really, really wonderful. I think um, Kitty is quite overwhelmed right now and is probably very much tearing up. Um, yeah, good. It was a good day. Don't cry. There's nothing to cry about, my love. 
He looks down at the table and runs a hand along the grain of the wood, and then he looks up at you, and suddenly his voice sharpens. His tone seems more severe. He says, Don't waste your time like this. None of this is real, and you know it. What? What do you mean? There's no time. You have to drop this bullshit act. There's work to be done, and maybe, maybe, if you're lucky enough, if you're not stupid, if you're not reckless, if someone else fucks up, you might just live long enough to see a shred of this before you fucking die. Um, now I'm very crying. Um, yeah, Kitty gets up and goes outside, instantly shattered by that. And, uh, standing outside, in the fields, hearing the children playing around the corner, you watch as each piece of this scene is dismantled, layer by layer, like stripping away oil paint off a canvas to reveal what's underneath. First, the cabin disappears, the children, the trees, the truck, then the surrounding forest, then the bare mountains, and then the sky itself all seem to fade, desaturate, disintegrate, and vanish before your eyes and then kitty when all you see around you is blackness you feel pressure on your hand and a voice in your ear kitty wake up eyes flutter open yeah i'm probably sobbing in the real charlie machine chair as well charlie's leaning over trying to keep her distance but also professionally quite curious is she crying why is she crying i don't think i did that did you do that Roman is like wiping her sister's tears with her ratty, scratchy shirt. And she's like, she, she does this. It's fine. She'll be fine. Are you, are you feeling? Yeah, I'm kind of, I think I'm inconsolable. I'm like a little dead to the world, stuck in that place. I think that was a lot for Kitty. Charlie steps forward and she says, that must have been a lot. You were really strong throughout the whole thing. You did a really good job. We we need to test this out. She reaches over onto the desk and she grabs a small gold bracelet that has uh, a couple of silver charms dangling from it. And she tenderly hands it over to you and she says, what do you see? Do I roll? You can roll psychometry on this object. That was a 12 on psychometry. Oh, Kitty's back, baby. You get questions, right? What is the history of this object? Yeah, that's probably the one, eh? You see a tall, imposing-looking building, and you can see a university science lab. And you can see a woman, Charlie. Not even younger, because ghosts. They don't really have to deal with that. It's Charlie, uh, almost certainly as you know her, in a lab coat, working with some supplies, and another woman is shoving her angrily and screaming at her, The bracelet that Charlie's wearing that has a dangling charm on the end of it gets caught in a piece of lab equipment as she's pulling back from this other woman. And as she's trying to grab it and pull herself free, she knocks over a beaker uh, on the table. And when the contents of the beaker spill out onto the Bunsen burner that's a few feet away on the other end of the table, it lights and the room begins to fill with fire and smoke. Yeah, after seeing that vision, I like look up to Charlie and I say, oh dear, I'm, I'm so sorry. She smiles softly and she says, I've had my time to deal with it. I'm, I'm glad that it works. Kitty, you can see again. I hug my sister. I like wipe my tears. I like grab Charlie's hand and I say, thank you so much. And I like step back to look at Roman. So you're... All good? You're all not normal? (laughs) Um, I I think so. I think it worked. Okay, Roman gives you a really big hug. My god, she's overwhelmed. I was so worried, Kitty. I didn't know if you weren't going to get your powers back ever again. And, you know, if it was all my fault, you know I would never, ever, ever forgive myself. And I don't know if you would forgive me, but I wouldn't blame you. I'm just... Okay, it's not about me. I'm really, I'm really happy. It was not your fault. I made a rash decision. It would have been my fault even if you didn't fix it. Do you feel happy? Do you feel back to your old self and, and, and everything's good now? Um, 
hopefully everything will be good tomorrow. Everything will be good tomorrow. And I like awkwardly don't know if I should shake hands with Charlie. Do I hug Charlie? Maybe I'll go in for the awkward like almost a handshake, almost a fist bump, almost an elbow bump, and then we settle on a hug. Yeah, I think Roman offers her a profusion of limbs and Charlie goes in for the hug and she permits herself one, you know, sort of passionate stroke of your pixie cut before she holds you at arm's length and she says, I think you two have a busy day tomorrow, right? Roman kind of snaps out of it like, oh shit, we got a city to save. Okay, back into uh, no more sentimentality. That time is over. Checks her watch. Sentimentality time is done. We gotta leave. Probably we'll be back here, Charlie. Thank you so much. Look, let me tell you something. I hope you two get what you're after, but even if you don't, I'll be here and (laughs) you'll probably be here either way. Thank you for listening to episode 19 of Lakeshore. We'll be back on October 27th. The end is nigh. Buckle up.